This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, the most advanced technology combined with market-leading content and West's history of trusted editorial excellence. Helping legal professionals save time is what they've been doing for over 125 years. Learn more at westlawnext.com. Economists often say business owners should diversify their money. Does that advice work for attorneys as well? I'm Stephanie Francis-Warren, and that's what we're discussing today at the ABA Journal podcast. Joining me are Larry Cohn, the president of Cohn Communications and the author of Selling in Your Comfort Zone, Raquel Salas, the managing member of Avante Law, a Michigan firm that recently purchased an accounting business, and Mark Tusk a San Francisco lawyer who defends attorneys facing professional responsibility in state bar matters. Raquel, let's start with you. Could you tell us a bit about the accounting firm that your firm purchased and how you guys decided to do that? Yes, absolutely. We started our firm in May of 2010, and our first winter was very slow, and we sat down and decided to look into what options we had and how we can improve our business and walk-in throughout the winter months. And around that time, we found out that a accountant was selling their practice, and we figured, hey, why not? We have the space at our building, and we figured that, you know, everybody has to prepare their taxes during tax season, and it was a great opportunity for, for us to have more walk-in and people get to know more about the business without having to have the cost associated to the marketing. And that's how we decided to look into the opportunity and see if our building will be able to host uh, an accounting firm, and it has worked out pretty good. And, and so this was the first year, an account, a tax season has passed, basically. This was the first year that you guys had it then, right? Correct. It took us a whole year to set it up and be in compliance with all the rules and regulations for the IRS, and also we had to contact the Michigan Bar Association to find out if there were a particular ethical rules that was applicable to our practice and make sure that there was no violation or intermingle of the two businesses being the fact that they were going to be in the same building. So how did this first year go? Have you seen any, I mean, have you gotten any clients from it or are you, is it more that it's a profit for the, how, how's it going? It actually turned out to be a really good idea. <laughs> um, basically because we do immigration law and we also do um, bankruptcy law. If you might know, in order for you to apply for the immigration benefits, you have to have your taxes in order, same thing with bankruptcy. So there's a lot of cross-selling between the two practices. And we also have the opportunity to have new clients that never heard of the law practice that started using the business of the accounting and now are clients of the firm. It turned out really good because the practice that we purchased had 200 clients in existence. So those people are new to the firm, and most of them did not become a client of the firm, but those that did um, are very happy with the services of the law firm, and those that did not become um, clients of the firm are now aware of the fact that they can also get legal services at the same place where they do their taxes. When you purchased the accounting firm, did you do any direct marketing? We did not, actually. Um, Well, Let's see, direct marketing, the only thing that we did is that we used the database of the clients that they had in existence and sent them letters letting them know where they were going, where the practice was going to be now and the fact that we also had a law firm in the same building. 
Mm -hmm. So that will qualify as direct marketing, I think. Okay. So Larry Cohn, if you had a client come to you and say that I I have this law firm and I'm going to practice, excuse me, I'm going to purchase an accounting firm, what kind of advice do you think would you have for them in terms of marketing and letting people know? Well, you know, uh, marketing for an accounting firm is very similar to uh, uh, marketing for a law firm in, in terms of because you're really offering a service. And, uh, and so <clears throat> the most important thing for marketing any professional service business is really making sure that you have the ability to meet a lot of really good targets or have access to them because the greatest weaknesses that all professional services have is that they always need to meet more people. That's it's, it's the thing that most lawyers and other professionals forget about. They, they want to be good at their practice. So the primary focus is lead generation. How are you going to meet new people? So, you know, there are so many ways, of course. There's going to events and, 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 and reaching out to people. If it's a CPA firm, you might even want to do advertising. Some law practices might be effective at advertising. And, you know, one of the greatest techniques as the technique that you're using right now, Stephanie, and that's webinars and blogs and using technology as a way of reaching out and introducing yourself to people. Okay. Let's go to Mark next, Mark Tuff. Do you have many people coming to you as lawyers who want to have ancillary businesses like this? And if so, what sort of advice do you tend to give them generally? Well, uh, the answer is absolutely. This is this is uh, a, a very wide variety of, of ancillary businesses that lawyers are engaging in. And before I give any cautionary advice in, in terms of some of the ethical consequences and risks, let me just say that the kind of thing that uh, Raquel was talking about is, is not only uh, becoming common in terms of the more diverse services that lawyers are involved in, but it's age old. We've, as long as we've had lawyers, we've had uh, what we come to call dual professions or ancillary business services. So there's nothing terribly new about lawyers offering what are called legal services and and either law-related services or distinct non-lawyer services. The challenge for those who wish to offer ancillary businesses in addition to law practice is whether or not the services that are going to be offered are indeed distinct from uh, the provision of legal services or if they are uh, not distinct whether the lawyer is going to be able to undertake the reasonable measures our rules require to assure the consumer of the non-lawyer services that the protections of the lawyer-client relationship don't apply. That's the challenge. It is certainly manageable. It is doable. Lots of lawyers are able to do it. But if someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm thinking uh, of acquiring a, a CPA firm, uh, such as Raquel's doing, or, or uh, going into some related uh, business service, we would go through a checklist of questions, and, and I would be giving advice on how to either structure that business to comply with, with our rules or provide some practical advice on how to avoid uh, the kind of confusion that can easily arise in the minds of consumers uh, in using the ancillary business as opposed to the lawyer's legal service. And the one one last comment I want to make, and we'll get into this, I know, as we proceed, but uh, in addition to to deciding how to structure the business to either 
comply with the rules or make sure that our ethics rules aren't applicable to the non-lawyer services, whichever way you choose to go. The other big issue, which we've already touched on, is using the, the ancillary business as a marketing tool for the law business. And we call that, you know, the cross-selling you mentioned. Uh, those raise additional uh, ethical issues that I'm sure we'll talk about. But as, to answer your direct question, Yes, it's common. There's a very wide variety of, of businesses. They range from, you know, lawyers who have a travel agency, which is totally unrelated to legal services, to, to lawyers who have tax services, like uh, Raquel is talking about, that, that frankly do have some relationship to, to the provision of legal services. So it's a wide, wide topic, but very common and historically quite common. Mark, I'm curious, are there some businesses that they might be perfectly fine under the professional rules, but perhaps one should be cautious of them because they might raise red flags, like to the IRS, like say you're a successful lawyer and you open a restaurant or a bar. I mean, are you you just asking for an audit? Well, you know, I always tell my clients who wish to have a separate business, let's let's just take your example. It's a a restaurant. It has really Mm -hmm. nothing to do at all with the provision of legal services is quite distinct. Uh, are there still you know, ethical risks to worry about? The answer is, well, of course there is. I always tell lawyers in that situation, well, keep it separate and keep it straight. In other words, avoid the risks of any confusion. If you use the restaurant as a feeder for your law practice, well, then you're going to run into some ethical issues. Uh, if you keep it really distinct and separate, you're, you're not going to run into any serious ethical issues, with, with one exception. This is probably a good time to raise this. No matter whether you're related to the legal profession in your ancillary business or not, there are rules that will apply in the disciplinary context in whatever we do as lawyers. So if we do something, heaven forbid, in an ancillary business that is dishonest, for example, we can be subject to discipline as a lawyer just because we're licensed as a lawyer. So there's, we're, not, we're, we're never completely divorced from the, from the ethics rules, but we can manage the business to eliminate the application of many of the of the rules if we choose to do so. Okay. And Raquel, I am curious with your new business, how does the firm, do, do you check for conflicts with both? I mean, have you had to turn away any clients because it would have been a conflict either from the law firm or the accounting business? So far, there has been no conflict. We use CLEO to check conflicts as a law firm, and we have been extremely careful. We did a lot of research and we're in communication with ethics rules uh, for the ethic line for the bar association to make sure that that before opening things were separated and that we were following the ethical rules to make sure that everything was in place because we were aware of the potential conflicts and the potential issues that could come up, uh, making sure that since we were going to be in the same building, what what do we have to do to make sure that there was no access between um, the staff for the accounting firm and the staff of Avanti and the mix-up of the files and stuff like that. So we did spend quite a amount of money making sure that um, all the doors were secure, that there were passwords, and that things were completely separated to make sure that we were in compliance. There is no staff from one firm that is staff of the other, and we work really hard with the bar association to make sure that we're in compliance. But yeah, it could 
it could be a problem if the attorney that decides to go into the business would not do the legwork of making sure that they're aware of the potential uh, rules and conflicts that will come into place. Oh, I just wanted to mention that we actually assigned um, an attorney to specifically work on the ethics issues with both IRS and the Bar Association to make sure that everything was in compliance. Can you give me a sense of about how much time this took from you and your partners, where you're a small firm and you're running a growing law firm and also to open this other business too? What sort of time commitment was it? The main time commitment initially was deciding whether should we do this, should we invest both money and time doing this, and who was going to take the lead of making sure that things are taking place. We're going to keep the staff that the other um, accountant had, or we're going to, you know, put our people. Um, and we decided it took us about two months to decide whether we wanted to do that or not. There were a lot of meetings among the partners looking into, you know, the financial aspect of it. Um, does it make sense? Uh, why do we want to do this? What are the benefits? What are the pros and cons? Um, so the, the hardest part, I think, was making sure everybody was on board um, of the investment. And once we all agreed to do this, then I took the lead of all the negotiations with the accountant. I um, assigned one of our business attorneys to be the one in charge of making sure that everything was being done by the book. And then it took us about five months to set it up because then we needed to apply for a lot of different applications for IT numbers and effing numbers. And there were a lot of things that we needed to get done in order of uh, the, the firm Universal Income Tax and Accounting Service to be qualified to actually prepare taxes. And that was the hardest part, I will say. But what we did, we hired an accountant to handle all that and we had regular meetings twice a month to make sure that everything was in compliance with a checklist that we created of deadlines and making sure that everything was getting ready. We did encounter a problem towards the end that we needed to have an, an additional staff for which we didn't budget for. And we ended up having to hire another staff to help with the tax preparation services. But that all worked out pretty well at the end. But it was a total surprise for us because we saw that, you know, with the staff that we had in place, that things were going to work. And then we had to make some last-minute changes, but it worked out pretty good. Can you give me a sense of how did you plan for operating costs? The good thing about the, the tax season is that it's only for about four or five months. Uh, we are Next year we're expanding because of a lot of clients are asking for bookkeeping services and other kind of services that – the firm can provide. Uh, we're just we're not ready to go in a full year, 24 hours, you know, full mortal office all year round. Um, but basically, what we did, we estimated the, the income based on the past uh, performance of the accountant firm and budgeted the cost. It's pretty simple in the sense that there's not a lot of cost involved, um, other than the basics that we had. We didn't have any cost that was not already estimated in the budget, which is pretty different than the law practice because with the law practice, especially when you have uh, contingency fee cases like we do, 
you know, cost can can sometimes can't be estimated. You think you will spend uh, $3,000 in a small case and then end up with a bill of $15,000 because of the positions or stuff like that. With a firm, with a counter firm, it's very different in the sense that once you pay all the licenses and once you have the, the program, there were not really a lot of costs other than staff. And we budgeted really well before the, the firm opened the door to the public. What were your partner's hesitations about this, if any? Um, I, I guess the main thing was that, you know, what happened with our firm was that we grew too quick, too fast. We started a business in May of 2010, just three attorneys and a secretary, and five months after, we are 15. So we were still going through accommodating our own growth uh, for the firm, and it was kind of like probably too much for us so early in the life of our firm get into another business. But at the same time, you know, we we knew that those two months, like December, January, actually January, February, and March are very slow for our practice. And we are a firm that is debt-free. We don't have any loans. We don't owe money to anyone. And we wanted to keep it that way. But we knew that if we were going to go through another winter the same way we did in 2010, it was going to be hard for us. Um, and we really wanted to keep it without having to take any loans or or any equity lines or not. We didn't want to take any loans um, that was personally guaranteed by any of us. So it was easy in that sense, but at the same time, it was should we really get into this at this time when we're growing, when we're still trying to put a lot of procedures and a lot of um, rules in place because there were a lot of things going on. When we originally only had one staff, now we had five associates working for us and about five support staff. So we're growing too fast, and there were a lot of things happening at the same place and we, at the same time, and we didn't know if we really wanted to get into this, which was more work uh, for us. But it was the best decision. It wasn't like a, a super safe, easy thing to do. This was a risk. I mean, it seems like a risk that paid out well, but it, it was a bit of a risk is, is what I'm It hearing. was. It that was. That first couple of years you start a firm, and with your practice, you don't know when the money's coming in. And that is correct, but we already knew that winter months were very slow, so the options were just to wait for another winter month to come or spend more money in advertisement without knowing whether it will have any return investment or investing in a business that we knew for a fact that those 200 clients were likely going to come, and we knew that tax season will happen every year no matter what. So it was, it was a risk, but it was more of a some sort, there was some sort of certainty attached to it that made sense to us, and that's why we decided to go on and take the risk on that one, just because even though it was a risky move, it was also one that came with a lot of certainty. Uh, Stephanie, if I may comment, uh, I, I think uh, the way Raquel's uh, describing this is, is quite uh, is quite good. Um, there, there seems to be a, a natural distinction between the uh, nature of the law firm's practice uh, and this uh, ancillary business. Uh, so some of the risks are are clearly manageable in, in that regard. 
there could be some crossover she mentioned, but but uh, it really is a question of managing the risk. These things are quite doable. They're ethical. They're they're not uh, prohibited. But uh, as she's laying out for us in, in real terms, uh, there's a lot of hands-on uh, management responsibilities that are ongoing, um, and, and it sounds like she's done it uh, done it quite well. Um, the problem comes up, I think, in other types of relationships where there's a much closer uh, nexus between what the law firm does and what the ancillary business does. So, so then then the risks I think become a little. Uh, more demanding, uh, but all of this is is doable as long as you have lawyers who are willing to to, to spend the time and, and, and the dedication to managing these risks from a from an ethical point of view. Uh, it's it's all quite doable. I I, I, I definitely would like to chime in here. The what Mark's addressing I think is really important from a marketing perspective uh, because a lot of the lawyers that I know that are in um, um, are, are creating separate businesses are separate are businesses that really do blur the lines. For example, a very common area would be to go into a consulting practice where you're, let's say you're doing environmental consulting, but you are also an environmental lawyer. So it's very, right. very uh, uh, easy to spill over from one to the other. And I think that that's a very common thing to do. And, the, and the, not only are there ethical issues that you have to be concerned about, but the point that I want to make is that if you are going into a business to diversify, which is a completely different business and it has nothing to do with your legal practice, and that's a financial investment, and that's, that, that won't uh, uh, create a risk in terms of your ability to generate business for your own practice. But if, if you, for example, go into environmental consulting, then you become a competitor to all the other environmental consultants who might normally refer business to you. So I think that one of the things that you have to think about is, are you going to be going into a business that competes with the people that could be your best referral sources? So not only are there ethical concerns, but there are marketing concerns that might, in fact, hurt your ability to get referrals because you become a competitor to the people that would normally be able to send business to you. Let's, let's talk about that just for a second, if we can. Uh, the 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 major ethical risk when the businesses and the law practice are closely aligned or related uh, is the distinction between clients and non-clients. So uh, that that would be a huge uh, issue to to address whether uh, you're rendering the let's say the environmental consulting services to to people who happen to also be recipients of legal services of the firm, then, then that's going to take you down uh, a, a road where there's a number of ethical concerns, and they're all manageable and they're all doable, but you're probably going to be under the rules at that point with respect to all of the services unless you really do a lot of things. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, as Larry just mentioned, you, you can have uh, marketing and, and services for clients or co consumers who are not clients of the firm, um, and, and you can avoid a number of the ethical requirements that would apply to those consumers if you take, you take these steps that the rules outline you must take to make sure that person, whoever that person may be who's a not, not a client, understands that they are not a client and that they're not getting the protections of a attorney-client relationship, and the burden is going to be on the law firm. So... So the more closely aligned the business is with the law practice, uh, the more demanding 
the, the, the risks are, but they're again manageable if you if you are willing to pay enough attention to them. Raquel, let's go back to what Larry said. I am curious: were there CPA or were there accounting practices that referred you guys business before you opened up the accounting practice? Yeah, that's something that I wanted to mention because um, we didn't have problems in that area, but we were offered the opportunity before that to get into the insurance business, and it happens that most of my biggest referral sources come from financial planners, financial advisors, who are also um, providers or underwriters of insurances. And while I was pretty excited because it was like an additional potential source of income and I saw all the potential in it, I right away realized that, oh, my God, if I do that, I will be competing with the key players that are always referring business clients to me. And business clients are very important to us because they're the ones that come with repetitive business. And that's why I let go of that opportunity to go into the uh, business sector, into the insurance area. And, you know, I haven't had any problems with the accounting part because I don't generally get a lot of referrals from accountants. That's not uh, our focus for client referrals. We haven't really explored that opportunity. We're pretty new so far. We've been focusing more on financial planners, financial advisors, and other key players of our community to get referral sources from them. So I didn't see that as a problem uh, because we don't have a lot of um, relationship with a lot of accountants out there. Well, and I guess in closing, Raquel, if someone was thinking about starting a business like you and your partners did, what sort of advice would you have for them? I will say two things. First, I will always ask them how important is the business of actual practicing law for them. And the reason why I will ask that as a first question is because I'm the managing member of the firm, and I spend about 50 to 60% of my time doing administrative tasks. And at the beginning, I, I just wanted to be 100% of an attorney. But it got to the point where it required a lot of more work. And either we hire someone to do it or we identify the partner that was in the best position to do that. And since I have um, a business background, we all agree that it is better for me to take that lead to allow the firm the opportunity to grow until we're in a position to actually hire a third party to come and do that work. I think that will be the first thing. If the person just wants to practice law and it's really bad at keeping track and being on top of all the administrative staff and they do not like that, then I will strongly recommend them to reconsider their position because once you go into business, there's a lot of administrative life work that has to be done. And to be honest with you, the best person that can do that is the owner, at least the first couple of years because there's a lot of nurturing of their relationship. There's, there's a lot of heart that you have to put into play. There's a lot of nights, a lot of long work. And also, if money is a problem, then they have to be very careful because there will be dry months. I mean, there's no doubt. Like any business, cash flow is always going to be a problem. And if it's a, a person that has a family and they have, you know, a need of a fixed salary or, or constant money coming in every month, you need to understand that what makes a business owner an entrepreneur is that risk factor. You have to take the risk, and that means that you need to know that there will be times 
that you're going to work more than ever, and you're going to come home with no money in the pocket. So if they are willing to, to overcome those two big issues, then they're ready to go. Okay. Well, I think that's everything that I have for everyone. Does anyone want to add anything else? No, this is just a very uh, broad topic, and I hope this discussion in any in no way discourages uh, lawyers who wish to venture into non-lawyer-related services. It's perfectly permissible. It's, it's age-old. We've had dual professions and law-related services from, for, for many decades, but there's some serious ethical and managerial risks that I think that we've uh, accentuated here today. Okay. Thank you all so much for your time. I appreciate it. This ABA Journal podcast has been brought to you by Westlaw Next, the most advanced technology combined with market-leading content and West's history of trusted editorial excellence. Helping legal professionals save time is what they've been doing for over 125 years. Learn more at westlawnext.com.